Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be on the radio, to be a voice people listen to every single day? Today's guest has spent her entire career doing just that. She's a well-known, recognizable voice in Boston and a legend on Magic 106.7, where she has spent the last 38 years talking about music, talking about life, talking to listeners in a way that makes them feel as if she is their friend. And she's my friend, too, that's for sure. In fact, she was my role model when I first got started on the very same station decades ago. Her name is Nancy Quill, and this is her story. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am thinking to myself, is that me? Are you talking about me? It's such a pleasure to be here. Feels like I'm just hanging out in the studio with an old friend. That's I've it. missed seeing you and working with you, you every day. Thank you. Radio is in your blood. Mm -hmm. You are the daughter of Joe Quill. Your dad owned stations here in Massachusetts. Tell me about your dad, because I know he was your big influence. Yes, he was. He was an amazing man, not just on the radio, not in his business, but as a human being. He has taught our family so much about Lessons life. Lessons in life. Lessons in life, but really as a broadcaster. He was an owner and general manager of a radio station, but not only that, he was a news director, and he did the editorials, and he sold time on the radio station. Now, he did everything for that radio station. Because of that, I learned a lot about the business growing up in it. He really did influence me to go into radio. Your very first commercial was when you were how old? Oh, I went maybe four, three, two, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't remember. It goes gonna, too far I, back. I think you told me a story about how he literally just put you on his lap and said, now talk into this microphone, right? Exactly. It was for Duran's Chocolate Candies in Taunton, Massachusetts. So if anybody remembers that, I think, I don't even know if they're in business anymore. He would come home with a tape recorder and inevitably I would always have a cold. And I'd always say, I love Duran's chocolate candies. <laughs> and, but it was perfect. It was perfect because every, you know, every Christmas, every Valentine's Day, every Easter, he would come and, and tell me to say this. You know, now say this and say this into the microphone. And that's how I started. What did you learn from watching your father in terms of work ethic, in terms of love of doing what you do? I learned that you have to be persistent. You have to keep at it. You can't let yourself down. You can't let anybody else down. You have to keep going, which is what he did. He believed so much in the medium of radio that it taught me to do the same, that I believe in the medium, even though it's going through a lot of changes right now. But he really taught me to just stick with it. Paint me a picture of your life growing up. What was it like in your house? You are the youngest child, I think. Yes, I was the baby. My sister will say I was spoiled, and I probably was spoiled because, you know, babies can be like that. But it was a really great household because we were all very musically inclined. That was my first love was music anyway. And my dad was a performer. He, he studied acting and singing before he got into radio. It was always a, a lively home. We were always very passionate about things, passionate about politics and passionate about real-life experiences. We'd talk about philosophy. I mean, it was just a really great household to be it in. It sounds like it was interesting around the dinner table. It really was. Sometimes my parents brought their work home with them, and then it wasn't so much fun. <laughs> but that's okay. That happens everywhere. When you think back on your childhood, who was your role model? Was there somebody that you said, I admire that person. I want to kind of be like them? I'd have to say it was my dad. It really was because 
He was so admired. But not only that, he could tell a great story. He was just a loving person. And, you know, he had been in World War II. He had gone to Japan right after they dropped the bomb. I mean, he had seen some things, some crazy things. Yet he was such a mild-mannered, wonderful man. And he really was my role model, not just for radio, but for life. You're a singer. You're also a pianist. What does music mean to you, Nancy? Oh, music is what keeps us alive. It's what makes us tick. I love to sing. I don't sing as much anymore, but when I do, whether it's in the car or the shower or at home, it just makes me feel good. And I think that's why I love doing what I do on the radio, because I'm giving music to people out there that need it sometimes. You majored in music at the University of Lowell, correct? Yes, I did. Tell me about your college experience. I studied classical music. I was a soprano. I auditioned as a voice major. And I thought I was going to be a singer. That's what I thought I was going to do. Not so much classically, but I wanted to be a a rock star. I wanted to go to California. You and me, baby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Boy, I had my hairbrush. I was singing it. I had a full-length mirror in my bedroom. I thought I was so good. (laughs) I wanted to be Linda Ronstadt, right? Me too. I know. That's what I I did in college. That was my college experience. And I loved, I mean, being a music major, how can you not? I mean, it's, it's, uh, even taking a final is fun. If you can do it, obviously, you have to have the talent. (laughs) Otherwise, it's not so fun. But, you know, I did get my start in radio during college. I was just about to ask you that. And I think that you were on the air at a Kurt Gowdy-owned radio station. Is that correct? Tell me about that experience. And it happened during college. It did. I was lucky enough to be working at the college radio station. And a couple of the guys there also worked for WCGY 93.7 at the time. And they said, you know, we're looking for people to do weekends. You you might want to audition. So I did. and, And I got in there. And so when I was in college, I was also on the radio. It was a metropolitan Boston area radio station. I worked for Kurt Gowdy, yes. What songs were you playing? Let's talk about oh, that. This is a long time ago. That is a long that 1979. And I think The Wall was out by Pink Floyd. And you're a rock girl. You like playing those I songs. I do. Yeah. Super Tramp was big at the time. Uh-huh. It was great. The Pretenders, Pat Benatar was still going strong, Blondie. Um, I loved all of it. It was a great time for music. You got the call to come in and talk to some new radio station owners in Boston about a brand new radio station that was going to be launched called Magic 106.7. Take me back to that day because it changed your life. It did. I remember getting the phone call saying, we want you to come in and want to talk to you about a a radio position. I thought, oh, they want me for weekends. I'm sure that's what it is because I figured... Full-time in Boston? Are you kidding me? I'm not ready for and that. And how old are you now? 22. Oh, just graduated. I had just graduated from college. I walked in. Jack Casey, who was the program director at the time, sat down and said, you know, we want you to, to work full-time for us. I couldn't believe it. I remember feeling so warm. You know that feeling, that the heat that comes over you when you, you just can't believe this is happening? Yeah. That's what changed everything. I Wow. And, and the thing is, for listeners, and we've got them around the world at this point, I just want you to understand that when this station launched, all eyes were on this radio station. Mm -hmm. It was a soft hits radio station. And you landed the job. You must have been over the moon. What was your parents' reaction? Oh, they were so happy for me. They just couldn't be more thrilled, especially since I had gone to school for music education. I was a, a voice major and I got my teaching certificate. When I graduated, I thought, I don't know if that's what I want to do. 
And my dad kept saying, you know, you really should get your radio license, which I did. So for me to get a full-time job in radio in Boston at 22, they couldn't have been more proud. The station had a philosophy about how to talk, how to present the music, which was being called soft hits. Tell me about the environment when Magic 106.7 first started. January 6th, right? 1982. That's correct. I'm trying to remember what it felt like. I just remember being very nervous, but very excited at the same time. And I remember we had to say Magic 106 FM, you know, that kind of thing where you had to say it just right and in a certain way. And it was late nights. I was on late nights. I don't remember too much about it except to say that I just remember feeling so overwhelmed and excited at the same time. You started with a guy who's legendary here in Boston, a dear friend of both of ours, David Allen Boucher. Tell me about you and David. You started on the same day. We started on the same day. As a matter of fact, after my interview where I got the job, I was walking out and he was walking in and they were about to hire him too. And the funny thing is, people that do know him, he has a radio show called Bedtime Magic and it starts in the evening. It goes till midnight. At the time, I was doing late nights and he was doing early evenings. One day they switched us and the rest is history for him. He's known around the world. Nobody does it like that. You know, he says things like, we're going to turn the lights down low and we're going to tuck you in. And he makes you feel like he's in bed with you. (laughs) Hello, dear hearts. Yes. (laughs) No, he's wonderful. And he's been a great friend, continues to be even after 38 years. At first you were on at night, as you said. I still remember This must have been around when my daughter Colleen was born, 82 or so, Mm -hmm. 83. I remember rocking Colleen to sleep and listening to you. I still can remember this, honestly, that I felt like I knew you. So my question is, what makes a great radio talent? How do you reach through the radio and talk to somebody? Because you do it. I wish I knew the answer to that because I'm not sure if that's just something that just comes out from me. I don't consciously do that. I think you have to be true to who you are. And I suppose when you do that, that will come out. My idea of being good on the radio is to reach out and I want to say almost empathize, even though I can't always empathize with what people are feeling. But that's how it feels to me. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about what's your day like? How are you feeling today? I want you to know I'm there and I care and I'm here for you. You know, it's almost like reaching out and touching someone on the shoulder. I remember thinking about it like that. And I also remember thinking I wanted to be just like you. Oh, (laughs) you're doing just fine. You're doing just fine. But, you know, when I met you in 1990, it was me getting started in a career that I never even imagined that I would be part of. And I met you and I met David Allen Boucher and we all worked together for decades. My daughter, Colleen, on the day that I started getting on the air and doing overnights, we would listen to my tapes after I'd get off the air. She used to say, Mom, I'm going to judge you on the Nancy meter. (laughs) And the Nancy meter was how close to sounding anything like Nancy Quill that I could be. And she'd give me a rating at the end of listening to my air chat. And how old was she? Like eight years old, (laughs) you know? And we're driving down the road and she'd go, Mom, you're a four out of ten on the Nancy meter. And I can still remember the day. She said, Mom, you're a ten out of ten on the Nancy meter. I know the street (laughs) where I was. I know exactly. 
because yeah. that's what a role model you are. And I really want people to understand that your voice is a voice that has been heard in a city for 38 years. People have had their babies and heard you. Their babies have grown up and they listen to you now. What a legacy. How does that feel? Sometimes I think you're talking about somebody else. Like I said earlier, it feels good. But what feels even better is seeing where you've gone oh, and thanks. the success you've had. Thank you. And that feels better than anything. <laughs> That's nice of you to say. That's thank true. you so much. That's true. Let's talk a little bit about family. You're happily married, have been for a long, mm-hmm. long time. Yes. Your son Jared came along in 1992. And I remember mm-hmm. when you were pregnant with him because <laughs> I used to keep crackers in my desk drawer. And I would run in because you, you're trying to open your mouth to talk. And you know what every, everybody knows first oh, yeah. trimester. You, what you really wanted to do was go run down the, into the bathroom and get sick. Exactly. How is Jared doing? He's and doing also, great. let's talk a little bit about how you were able to stay on the air while you were pregnant and then come mm-hmm. right back after your maternity leave mm-hmm. and be relatable to the mom who was doing exactly what you were doing, dropping their baby off at daycare trying to get to work on time. Well, didn't I learn a lot? I'm telling you, it was difficult to be on the air, obviously, the first trimester, as you know. And it's hard being on the air any way when you're, when you're not feeling well and, and, yeah. and you still have to put that smile on your face and you still want to make sure everybody knows everything's okay. <laughs> Every, and thank you, by the way, for the crackers. That really <laughs> you needed them, sister. Needed them. <laughs> Having a child obviously does change you. And I felt like I was even more relatable after that. So it was a good thing. You just said it. You know, yeah. having a child changes everything. And now yeah. Jared's all grown up mm-hmm. and very successful mm-hmm. as a physician assistant. What is mother love? There's so much love. You can't put it into words. It envelops you. It makes you feel so good. It's a spiritual experience. Even when we're not together, just thinking about him makes me feel good. You have been number one in your day part which is radio talk for the time of day that Nancy's on. She's on from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. for a zillion times. How do you keep being number one? It's hard. And people start thinking, oh, you know, we can just assume that Nancy's going to be number one in midday. Sometimes it's out of your control because it's just the, the nature of radio in the market and people make changes at other radio stations. But I always had this goal that I wanted to be number one. I remember when I first started, and and I was number eight, number nine, I thought, I want to be number one someday. And I don't know how I did it. It was baby steps, little by little. I got to the point where I kind of knew what what it took to be number one. Today, I still think that way. I think I've, I've got to be up for my game. Every day, I've got to come in. I've got to do the best I can. And I've got to relate to all those people listening. And maybe that's the reason that we stay number one with the great music that we do play. Your all-time favorite song to play. What is it? You're going to laugh because it's really sad. (laughs) (laughs) I think about this a lot. A song I never got tired of playing. I don't think we play it anymore. It's been a few years, but it's still my favorite all-time magic song is Fire and Rain by James Taylor. You had the opportunity to sit in a studio. I did. And I was there. I watched this happen, and you were glowing like the sun. You had a chance to sit in a studio and talk to James Taylor on the 20th anniversary of of Magic Mm -hmm. 106.7. And listeners were listening everywhere, and there you were. Tell everybody what that was like. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. 
More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. JC Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. It was such a thrill because I always loved James Taylor. I loved his music and I used to harmonize to his voice when, when I would listen to his records. And when he walked in the door, larger than life, but such a nice, humble human being. And when he said, Hi, Nancy, how are you doing? You know, as if I was just somebody he's known for years. It felt so good. He was wonderful. He was so gracious. I listen back to that interview now and I think, oh boy, I made such a fool of myself because I was so excited and, and, and such a fangirl. But it was you really... were real and you could hear it on the radio. <laughs> you were so thrilled to have him in the room. We all were, right? But the funny thing is, I cut the interview off too early because being a radio girl, I kept thinking, we've got to go to break. We've got to wrap this up. Got commercials to and, play. Doesn't matter if James Taylor's sitting here. And I remember our program director at the time said, why did you do that? You could have kept going. I said, no, really? And I was so disappointed because it was such a great interview. But that's my only regret. However, it was just a wonderful experience. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. And there were so many experiences for you on Magic. A lot yes. of people who are listening to this interview will probably remember that you were also the person in our television commercials. Yes. Tell us what that was like. That was interesting because I'd never been in a situation where I did a film shoot like that. And here's the funny thing is they spent so much time trying to figure out, in fact... This is one of the the uh, outfits, not the outfit, but the uh, the jacket. They were trying to figure out the perfect colors the for perfect you, right? Colors, purple or or blue, or should you wear a jean jacket? I've got a jean jacket at home that they gave me too, and a white shirt. And they kept doing all these different things, and I'm thinking, does it really matter? <laughs> but but it was really exciting to go through that experience, and uh, it was just for 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 one season, but it was really fun. You can still say you did a TV commercial. I can still say I did it. They're out there in the ether somewhere. Speaking of that, you also have been someone who was doing the Boston City tree lighting for yes. years and years, hosting yes. that. What's that like? That's fun. That's so much fun because the city does such a great job putting that together. And it's amazing. You think, are people going to show up this year? And every year there are thousands. thousands of people out there waiting for the tree from Nova Scotia to light up on the common. It's really exciting. It's a really great way to kick off the Christmas season. When you look at all these experiences that you've had, is there anything that sticks out more than anything else? You know, I think of all the good things that happened, like the James Taylor, but I also think of some of the tragedies that we've had to deliver to our audience. And one is obviously 9-11, which was a very, very difficult time to be on the radio. We went through that Oklahoma City bombing together, and we both had kids. And those poor kids in the daycare 
were gone. That was really, really tough to get on the air after that. When something like that happens and you're on the air and you have to tell the listener, how do you handle that? I have to really be careful not to let my voice shake, that I have to be as calm as possible. And a couple of times, I haven't been able to do that. I, I've broken up on the air trying to, to deliver news, whether it's a, a death of, of someone that we all know and love or a terrible tragedy like the Boston bombings that we had. Those are really, really tough times, and it's really hard to rise to the occasion. But you have to. You have to just suck it up. The station won the Marconi Award in 2010 for the best adult contemporary radio station in the nation. And we were there for that, the two of us. And it was such a thrill for the entire air staff. And all these years later, you are still doing what you do. Mm -hmm. Radio has changed so much. It has. And the audience has so many choices when it comes Mm -hmm. to where they want to listen to music Mm -hmm. or information. What do you see as the challenges for radio in the future? As you say, there are so many choices out there now, and how do you present a viable product that people are going to want to tune in to listen to? I don't know if I have the answer to that. I see that it's going to be more difficult as time goes on. The thing about magic is we have such a loyal audience. It's going to take a long time before we lose them. My feeling is the more local you can be and the Mm -hmm. more real you can be, the more engaged your audience will be. It's possible the pendulum will swing back so that we're back to being local and really super serving the area. I know there are a couple of radio stations out there that still do that, and they do very well. They've got a great local audience, and they don't worry about the ratings. They just serve their community, and people love them for that. I hope it goes back that way. You are devoted to the Alzheimer's Association. Yes, I have Can you talk to us about that? Well, there's a reason for that, obviously. My dad, who was the sharpest man I've ever known who could tell a great story, who was always so busy, developed Alzheimer's. And he suffered from it for many years. It was so sad to watch someone that was so vibrant not be that anymore. Toward the end when he was very difficult to get through to, because as you know, Alzheimer's patients, sometimes they just, they shut down, you can't reach them, you don't even know if they know who you are. One day he turned to me out of the blue and said, I heard you today, you sounded great. And I went, oh my God, that's dad, he's still there. When I lost him, it was, it was devastating. It took a long time to get over that because he really was my sounding board and my mentor. That's why, to this day now, I really believe in the Alzheimer's Association and what they're doing, because too many people are suffering from it, and and I'm hoping someday they won't be. What advice would you give to a young woman who's listening to this interview and thinking, boy, this radio thing sounds kind of interesting to me? What do you say to her? I think you have to explore your options, because there are options out there. There are platforms like radio, like podcasting. And also internet radio now and satellite radio. There's so many opportunities to do what you do. I would say go for it and work hard. Listen to the people that you respect and admire. Get in the front door and and sweep the floors, as they say. And sometimes you have to sleep at the radio station, do an overnight shift. Check yes or yes. Just don't say no. (laughs) Don't say no, but um, don't be discouraged. There is plenty of opportunity out there. It might be different in the future. Might not be exactly how we do it now, but I think we don't want to lose people that are great communicators. What do you wish you knew when you first got started? That I could do this, 
I wish I had known. I wish I wasn't so doubtful and self-conscious at the beginning. I wish I could have enjoyed it more when I first started. I wish I I knew that it was all going to work out and I'd be okay. Has the journey had obstacles, hard times, and if so, how did you get past them? When I think of the deaths of my family members, my brother passed away at age 60. In fact, you called me from the radio station when you got the news, and that was really difficult. Losing my parents, um, those are the times, the hard times when you have to go on the air and put all of that behind you. Those are hard times. I've also had times when I feel like I'm really not making an impact, that it's not working for me, that I make mistakes on the air, and I think I should just give it up. I can't do this. I, I can't do it anymore. Those are difficult times, but I'm glad I persisted, stayed with it, because I realize that everybody goes through that. I'm not alone. You have so many fans, including me, but we all need that one person who keeps us humble and keeps us on track, our objective third party, our most loyal fan. And I'm guessing he may not be here anymore, (laughs) but I'm thinking it's still your dad. It's still my dad. However, I will have to say that my husband has really been the stabilizer. And when he knows I'm down and out or I'm doubting myself, he's always there for me. You know, it's different than a dad. A dad gives you different advice. But but my husband, I know he loves me and he supports me. And, and he'll say, you do such a great job. You're the best on the radio. I mean, <laughs> things like that. He, he just says, don't you give up. You can do this. Um, even today, and I said, I don't really talk about myself very much. I do the interviews. I'm not the one being interviewed. And, and he said to me, just don't worry about it. Just do it. Tell your just story. Do it. Exactly. And here I am. Your, your very best interview of your whole life was? I'm going to say James Taylor. Even though I said it wasn't good, I still say it was good in any, some ways. Any yeah. blooper reels around? Any funny things you've said on the radio? Oh, can I say that? Do I? I don't know if can I Please say do. that. Please do anything. Okay, when when one night I was doing a public service announcement for the Museum of Fine Arts, and mu- fine and arts were melded together, it became the Museum of Farts. Thank you. You said it. I wasn't <laughs> sure if I was allowed to say that on the podcast. Yes, yes. There was a great exhibit going on at the Museum of Farts. That that's one of them that I will never lift up, and it's on tape too. You were honored to pick up a Grammy Award for the radio yes. station back in yes. 1998 for what they called artist identification. Yes. What was that like? Talk about a thrill! I never thought I'd make it to the Grammy Awards. Never receive a Grammy Award, and that was fun. Seeing all of the artists and being in the room instead of watching it on TV and going to the the artist's ball. And I really felt like we were treated like like royalty. And it was so much fun going to New York City. It's when it was in New York City. It was great. What is another chapter for you? I know you do a lot of voice work. I do. I'd like to do more of that in the future. I, Again, I don't know where radio is going to lead. Now that I've been doing it for 38 years, I'm not sure when that end date is. I don't expect an end date, don't want an end date, but I do enjoy doing voice work and I've been doing it for a while and I'd like to continue to have that business. It's a lot of fun. What will you remember most about this incredible career of yours? Because, you know, I've had a little time in these last five years Mm -hmm. since you and I worked together. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, five years have gone by. Wow. Five years. And I look in the rearview mirror And you know what I miss the most? I miss the excitement of live radio. I miss that moment when you're running down the hall, you got your headphones on, you plug in, 
You've got the music in your ears. You've got people calling on the phone. You're trying to think of what can I say? How can mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. reach out to somebody today and make mm-hmm. them know that I'm kind of in the same ballpark you are? Yeah. What are you going to miss someday? I'm going to miss the people. It's the people, and not just the people that I've worked with, because I do miss them and will continue to miss them. I'm going to miss the people that listen because they are the best listeners out there. When you get them on the phone, when they reach out through Facebook or email, they are the nicest, best people, all of them. And they're so supportive, and I'm going to miss that. They make you feel like you're part of their family. They really do, and they never let you down. At this moment, then, in this chapter in your life, Nancy Quill, on the air here in Boston for 38 years, and my very dear friend and role model, what does success mean to you? Success isn't a point that you get to. I think success is looking back at the cumulative and seeing that through all the hard work, through all the joys and the disappointments, you made a difference not just on the radio, but in life. That's success to me. I want to say thank you so much for finding the time to to come here to my little, my new little studio. I love this. And uh, to tell your story on the story behind her success. Candy, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here and I'm thrilled and I'll never forget this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about her. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?